Are we recording? Yeah. Oh. How, much, how much time do I spend on the podcast? Uh, probably not enough. Well, that's a cheese ball answer, though. But I, I suppose, I suppose, I don't know. It's hard to say, kind of. Do you listen to the podcast? Do I listen to make sure they're good? No. Should I? <laughs> yes. That's how his podcast got out there with, with one track completely off of it. So it's just like a conversation with him and my side was completely gone. Silent, silent, answer, answer, silent, silent, answer. So I then, just thought you were like swearing at him constantly. No. Yeah. So then I had to go back and find it. And somehow the problem with GarageBand is it's, it's really powerful, uh, but it's a little wonky. Yeah, it's a little wonky, and uh, it'll drop. It you can't really tell what's highlighted. Hi, what's the past tense of highlight? Highlight. What's been selected? What's yeah, been selected? selected. <laughs> and you say you can't tell, and so when you push delete, a lot of times it selects stuff you you don't want deleted. Which if you catch, is not a problem. Just yeah. control Z and you're back out of it. But when I when I got Scott Chappelle's podcast, the part that was missing was missing from the master. So then I had to recreate the question. Did you? <laughs> but I couldn't figure out what they were. <laughs> and they had, and I had like, I mean, I could have added it. Tell me there's like a, like a track of you just asking random I was questions. Totally <laughs> sort of like, I was just like, so how's the weather? And then you find a question that the answer kind of fits for. Yeah. Oh, it's embarrassing, but oh, I don't know. I should spend, I don't know. I should spend more time, but it's, uh, it's still kind of fun. Yeah. And the editing actually is, I mean. You should do it. It's not bad at all. Because mostly, I, I mostly, the two rules I have is I try to not ever edit the actual conversation because that seems kind of like it'll get you in trouble. Yeah. Like if you took something out. Sometimes if they say stuff that's really um, like super sexist or weird, which. That happens. Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> but, and then the other thing is that I try to only talk 20% of the time. Mm. So, 80%, 20%. Well, I think people are more interested in hearing you than me. I think that's generally not true. Really? You don't think so? No, I don't think that's true at all. I think I think they, if, if it was anyone else doing this podcast, they would have a lot less listens. Oh, you're so sweet. And I'm blushing a little. But no, I think I think what makes the podcast interesting is not what I have to say. It's what you have to say. I would say it's what we have to say. Like I think it's the conversation. You don't think that's a wussy answer? Because that strikes me right there as yeah. if you were from Lower Wilsylvania, <laughs> that is how you would answer that question. What would you like to drink? Anything? <laughs> uh, whatever. You know. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> what would you recommend? Well, water. Because <laughs> now that you have no option, you're getting water. So. <laughs> Hey everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. That truly was the longest introduction uh, teaser piece I've ever put on a podcast in the history of mankind, and I had to cut a bunch out. <laughs> I get, so this podcast, I just want you to know, is a special edition podcast just for you. We made it just privately. There's just the three of us, Ron, Gant, myself, and you. And Ron and I had just done a big meeting, and we were sitting outside of Camp Electric, and we were at a, a little... A great little table outside. It was a beautiful day. It was gorgeous, like 73, under an umbrella. 
we're it's it's like two thirty in the afternoon, so there was no alcohol or any any substances at all involved. And uh, I had asked Ron if we could get together and do a podcast because I'm always curious what he's thinking about because he's working that safety differently website with Daniel Hummerdahl. And so he really is kind of on the cutting edge internationally of um, the blog and, and the things that are being reported. So it's always completely worthwhile to check in with, with Ron once in a while. And this was one of those times, but we got tickled because our friend Jared, um, who's a safety manager for a rather large tree company in uh, the western part of the United States had told a story earlier about his four-year-old son just out of the blue looking down at a big pile of dog poop and telling his father that is a really big pile of dog poop, only he didn't say poop. And Jared was was horrified, you know, the best parent in the world, worst parent in the world argument because he used the, um, he used the S word. A little four-year-old boy used the S word, and uh, and we were we were just laughing about the fact that he probably wouldn't have pointed it out had it not been for the size of the pile, and so that started this whole discussion, and the mic was on, so we just kind of let it roll, and he was asking me some questions. So that's what that introduction is all about. Sorry, but uh, it, it's probably maybe you got a. I mean, it's kind of funny, so you probably got a chuckle out of it. And just know, I I cut the unseemly parts out of the. Uh, the system. So there we go. This is the podcast. It is a discussion with Ron Gatt and I. What do I have to tell you? It should by all rights be um, towards the end of the great month, the mid-month of July, because uh, that's when this baby's going to roll out, I think. And um, there's all sorts of excitement happening, at least in my part of the world. I'm spending the summer with um, the my friends at Alabama Power. So that's kind of fun. And I'm getting to spend a little time with them, and that's always a good time. I had an amazing time uh, recently with the Pulp and Paper people. He says, pardoning my alliteration, that conference in Florida was really fun um, and kind of fancy pants. I I really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Got to see all sorts of people from ORC, HSE, um, or at least Steve Newell. That was, uh, and he is all sorts of people. So it was a great time. A good time nonetheless. I hope you're having a good summer. I hope everything that you wanted to have happen this summer is happening and your wildest dreams are coming true. That would be important for me. The uh, workshop in Atlanta, October 2, 3, and 4, looks like is uh, steadily kind of filling up. So if you're interested, um, pull the trigger on that if you want to go because we'd love to have you. More details are available. Just look where details on stuff like that are. The... uh, Workshop in November in Toronto looks interesting. And then this uh, this advanced uh, safety differently meeting we're talking about happening. Uh, looks like it's really shaping up as well. So there's good stuff going on, that's for sure. I heard HPRCT was great. I was not able to attend because I was taking uh, four octogenarians on a cruise ship to Cuba. And I should tell you the story of that when we have lots of time because that, my friends, was a great trip. Um, nobody cried. Nobody fell over. Everybody had a good time. That's about as good as it gets. And Cuba is, if you haven't gone, it's completely an interesting experience. It really is an interesting, we had a great time. So let's uh, let's jump into this podcast with Ron and see what's happening. Uh, basically what I'm asking Ron is what's he seeing? What's he feeling? What's happening 
as we look forward down that safety differently path, what what's going on? And and so that conversation is pretty much the conversation you're going to be a part of. Thanks for listening. If you if it's your first time, what an interesting um, podcast to choose to start listening to the podcast on. Um, this would be an interesting one, but we're glad you're here and you're welcome. There's a ton more podcasts. They're all free and available. Just get them wherever you want to. You can have them all, baby. You can have them all. Until then, sit back and relax because this, my friends, is Todd and Ron sitting outside on a beautiful table under an umbrella on a Tuesday afternoon in the summer of 2018. What are you thinking about now? So first of all, the whole new view safety differently thing's catching some air. Oh yeah. I mean, in a big way. What's it making you think? Well, yeah. So a lot of things. So one, it's exciting to see. You know, like you said, it's it's kind of becoming more accepted. People are talking about it more. You're starting to see new people, new organizations pop up, um, and that I think is is good. But it also sometimes scares me um, because I'm starting to to wonder, uh, you know, where's this conversation going? But in some ways, like, as even as I say that, I sort of like, I don't know, I I I, I question my my fear and say, you know what, that that's kind of a good thing to be afraid a little bit because maybe new things are going to emerge out of this that are going to be interesting and exciting. So probably true, but if you're not bucking the man. If you're not giving it to the system, if you're not on the rebel side of the equation, is it less fun? Is it, I mean, does it lose some of its uh, does it lose some of its uh, some of its cachet? <laughs> That's a really good point. Uh, well, and and certainly there's a a drive as it starts to pick up momentum to push farther. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Daniel Humberdahl and I we. Uh, we had a conversation over email that we ended up publishing on safety differently site where he called it safety differently, differently. And, and it was, it was kind of along these lines, like, okay, at some point, you know, safety differently is not going to be different. You know, if we do what we want, then it's going to become the norm. What happens then? Will we push beyond that? You know? And so like, there's this drive to keep creating and keep innovating. You know what I mean? Well, when John Wesley tacked the 10 points on the wall of the church, and started the Reformation, the sort of the big divide. Sorry for you people that are listening that aren't as interested. Yeah, is it Martin Luther? Oh, yeah, it is Martin Luther. Yeah, yeah Martin Luther. The 95 Yeah, the, the, yeah, 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 the, the 95 or whatever. 96 it's points. Many, it's yeah, there were many points. There's a certain number of points that were yeah, yeah, yeah. Some church somewhere by some guy. Yeah, yeah. With, a, with a nail, I think, or attacked. <laughs> so so the, the Reformation started, and that would have been really an interesting time to be a part of sort of the sharp edge of the of the sword. But what happens is that the sharp edge of, of the sword cuts through a lot of – and that's what's going on. I mean, you've been in the past month or so at ASSP. Are you proud of me? I, I, I got that in. I did. And, HPRC, I and HPRCT, mm-hmm. both of which are talking very much about safety differently in a in a – kind of renewed and invigorated way. What do you think? I, I mean, kind of, yeah, similarly, right? Uh, so it's exciting because I really do think as more people talk about it, you get that emergence of new ideas, um, more innovation. But it, it does, again, I have to keep coming back to it. It bothers me because sometimes I hear people talk about it, and I don't think they're talking about safety differently. 
I think they're talking about what they were always doing, and they're calling it something different. Yeah, which scares the crap out of me. So, what's that look like? How do how do we watch for that? What do we look? Do we look for indicators where they talk about doing, you know, more targeted behavioral observations around safety? What what do we look for? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, a, a key indicator is what's the source of the problem. You know, what you know, think of the intervention and and what is it saying the problem is? Where is it localizing the problem? Oh, getting a call. Uh, but uh, you guys, Ron's watch just buzzed, yeah. and then he grabbed his waist. <laughs> so I don't know what the watch does, but it clearly makes him grab his waist. <laughs> you find the source of the problem. <laughs> um, but if if fundamentally the the problem is the individual, the person, right? They're trying to fix the person. That's not safety differently to me. Um, that's, you know, it it may be well-intentioned. It may even be beneficial. I don't know. That's a separate discussion, but it's not, at least for me, what I would call safety differently. So, so how would you characterize this new view? How would you characterize safety differently then? What, what do we need to look for? Maybe that's a good question to ask. That's a good question. Um, I'm filled with them. I have a million. Amazing. And that, and that's why you do the podcast, Todd. And that's why you do the podcast. And the money (laughs) and the rock and roll. The fame. The fame. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no. So, uh, I totally got distracted because I immediately thought of you as the Kanye West of safety. <laughs> the Kanye West of safety. Yeah, we can say what we want to, but as soon as safety differently becomes less sexy, Decker's out. Oh, yeah. uh, let's just put it down. Let's put that. Yeah. And if you hear this, Sydney, we said it. We're not afraid. We said it. Now, what do we look for? What are the indicators of safety different? What are the 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 tenets or the premises that one should be aware of? So one for sure is I think how safety is defined. You know, in, in, any sort of definition of safety that is based on what isn't there is not safety. Is not safety differently? I think safety differently it fundamentally defines safety by its presence of capacity to be successful, capacity to fail safe. You know, things along those lines. So, um, you know, what that looks like in practice is going to depend on the organization and and on industry, right? Um, because I think that's one big difference, right? And that's what makes safety differently hard is that it's hard for us, you know, it's easy when we say safety is the absence of accidents to just say, show me your accident rate, right? But with safety differently, when people ask for, you know, how do you know you're safe? Well, okay, it depends. What are we talking about? Um, But regardless, that's one thing I look for is how are we defining safety? Are we defining it by its presence, by these capacities to be successful? Um, Secondly is, how the organization, how the industry, how the system is uh, uh, leveraging people to be the solution to their problems, right? And to identify problems and to help solve those problems. So what's different about that than uh, classic like a VPP worker engagement, grassroots safety teams? That, the traditional – because I think we we truly believed, I think with best intentions, that our involvement of employees was good. When we had grassroots safety teams, we had, you know, peer safety auditors or observers or whatever we call them. Yeah. I would tell you, and I'd be curious to see what you said, that that's that was probably an iterative step towards engagement, but that clearly wasn't engagement. I mean, even a grassroots safety team is 
It's really not engagement. It's it's almost a reflection of what management wants safety to look like. What does engagement look like then? Exactly. No, I, I would agree with you because I, when I see traditional forms of engagement like VPP and, and whatnot, it's engaging people in doing my safety, like the safety yeah. I want, right? Yeah, that's a good way. Um, and so the difference is having people, you know, to use a term from like organizational development, co-create safety, like, you know, co-define it. You know, what? how do we – what do they think is safe in that environment? Would you be offended if I said I, I'm not even pleased with the idea of co-creation, that really what we want is the people who do the work to create the safety and then actually give that safety up to the leadership and management so they really have no purpose at all in the creation. Their job then is to facilitate the vision that the team has created for themselves maybe yeah no that's a perfect way to say i am totally not i'm unoffended if you will (laughs) (laughs) oh thank god (laughs) um no and i think that leads to like the third point i would say that defines safety differently is where the organization is focusing and what roles do each part of what does each part of the organization play and i think you hit the nail on the head because to me i think it's a crime that you mentioned assp hprct and pretty much every conference i've ever been to you have, you know, they always have a regulator there to talk, right? And those are always well-attended conferences because we're very interested in what the people at the proverbial blunt end think is and isn't safe. But you never have frontline workers come and help and make that decision for us. And I think that's that's a crime, right? They don't tell us what they think, what's important to them, what's meaningful to them. And I think organizations need to spend more time you know, asking the workers, what, what do you need? How can we support you so – Rather than workers support management's view of safety, like you mentioned, it's managers support workers' creation of safety. But does this work? Oh, yeah, I think for sure. How do you prove it? Uh, I mean, the, the, the way you prove it is actually it's already working. And I think it's working in every organization, right? Um, because right now, workers are already creating safety. Uh, something that I've found without fail every time I go out and, and you know learn from work is uh, whether it's observation, learning teams, whatever. Um, Every time you do that, you see that there's elements of a safety management system that the organization has no clue of. Workers are already creating safety. They just need someone to come alongside and help give them the tools and resources. So let's pull the string on that because that, I think, is a super important point you just made. How how am I as a leader supposed to manage that information? What what do I do with that? It's true. Let's just stipulate that. That workers create safety that will never be a part of your safety management system, that never could be a part of your safety management system. So what do I do with that as a leader? How do I, how do I manage that? How do I take credit for it? How do I, how do I make sure I get my bonus? <laughs> well, they're already taking credit for it. That's the great thing. You have to do nothing and you get credit for it. Uh, you know, because I, I honestly think workers make managers and safety people look good because, uh, you know, managers and safety people implement a process that's almost and not almost always is always flawed by definition right because all processes and plans are imperfect and then workers make it work but how is that because safety people by definition are kind of morons no yes yes no (laughs) no let me let me let me defend that so if you go to university and get an advanced degree in psychology your peers are all people who are getting an advanced degree in psychology and for the most part, they all seem to be in psychology because they are so messed up that who they want to fix first and primarily is themselves. 
So it's this big introspective discovery on why I'm such a mess. Yeah. Is that why safety people go into safety? Yeah, I mean, it was that whole reason I went into safety. I just needed to figure out how to not kill myself. <laughs> and look how well it's worked. Right? Yeah. Okay, so I interrupted. Yeah. But I think, that, I think the point you're making is really valuable. The, the, the issue, I guess, I, the question I would have, it's not an issue, is, yeah, you're right. This is already happening. How do, how do I manage it? Yeah. How, what, what do I do with it? So to me, the first thing is is once you become aware of it, I call them sources of resilience in the organization that are already there. It, once you become aware of it, then you, number one, do no harm, right? So like a, one uh, crew I, I saw that was working on the street, you know, cleaning sewer lines, uh, that, you know, lots of crew cohesion, and that was something that the organization didn't create, the workers created. But the organization can inflict harm on it. They can destroy it, right? So... Once the managers know it's there, then they can start, okay, let's remove constraints to allow this to keep happening, like to create space for it. And then secondly, once once you know you're not hurting it, then you can start asking questions. How can I make more space for it to happen? Where else can I make space for this to happen? Right? So once you know, so like uh, getting having that crew cohesion build up, you can start to ask questions, okay, what are the conditions that are leading to this and how can I make that happen? I'm not creating it. I'm giving it space to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. In essence, what managers manage then are the conditions in which work happens as opposed to the behaviors by which work happens. Is that fair? Because it, like, it seems like the idea that, that managers can manage worker behavior, um, first of all, kind of is freaky when you say it out loud like that. Secondly, why in the hell would you want to manage someone else's behavior? You can't even manage your own. And thirdly, the only person that manages their behavior is the person who manages their behavior. I mean, yourself. You manage your behavior. But when you look at the fact that what you manage are the conditions around which success or failure happens, then that really changes the question, right? That goes more to the hallnagel kind of question of what's happening when nothing's happening, right? So how do we look for – how do we look for nothing, well, step one is don't define it as nothing, right? So, I mean, even though it, it seems like nothing because we just haven't looked at it, there's a lot that's happening. And that's sort of, the, at least when I hear Eric say those things, that's what I hear is like him saying, wait a minute, there's not nothing there. There's a lot happening. We just need to go go out and look. And so part of it is a redefinition in our own minds. You know what I mean? Um, and so once you realize, okay, there's things to go look at, then you start identifying tools. And there's lots of tools that are out there. Learning Teams is one of those tools you can use, right? Another one is just going out and doing, uh, you know, some sort of observation. I don't like that term, but I can't think of a better one. Gemba walks, sometimes people call them too. I actually recommend the longer you do them, the better, like ride-alongs. Or I uh, had one manager call them a day in the life of. We actually go with the worker through the entire shift, right? Because then you can see the whole reality of the work process. Plus the advantage of doing that is um, after a while the worker gets bored of you and starts, you know, just doing what they always do. Don't you think that's what made that show Undercover Boss so popular? It's not that the show itself is terribly clever and, for goodness sakes, their makeup is terrible. I mean, it's like (laughs) who's not going to look at that guy and say, dude, your hair totally doesn't match your body, right? I mean – but That's but it's <laughs> but the fact that the fact that it it puts leadership in a position where they have to sort of you know walk in the shoes or or live in the culvert uh, the pipe the tunnel as as people talk about it that's really interesting and that that sort of um, that sort of very obvious attack to Taylorism this obvious attack to the separation between thinking and doing it's it stuns me that 
we tell people to have to do that. Yeah, I agree. I call it the rock and the shoe paradox. I don't know if I ever no, told you. More. So the rock. So if you, if I tell you I have a rock in my shoe, it doesn't sound like that. I mean, if it's a little pebble in my shoe, it doesn't sound like a big deal. But when you have a pebble in your shoe, it's a big friggin' deal. You stop. Oh my god, I got to get this thing out as soon as possible, right? It's that difference between experience and, and explanation or description. Um, and so you know, until you get out there and actually feel it, you know, sense it, uh, it it's not the same. Right. It's totally not the same. And so getting people out there to get those stories and make them more real, that's I, that's when you see more action. You know, when when managers, in my experience, start to realize that these problems that workers are dealing with are not just complaints. They're like legitimate issues that annoyances, difficulties, struggles. You know, that's when you start to see managers. OK, I need to I need to support this. I need to change this. I need to fix this. So what's interesting? What's the future hold? What what are you what are you doing now? Uh, I'm doing lots. Of, I'm talking to you right now. Hey, and it's money in the bank. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, um, that's true. But uh, no, I mean, I think to, going back to the beginning of the conversation, the next thing is is where are we as a, a movement, as a whatever the heck you want to call it, going next? Um, I think a big part of where we're going next, and this goes back to a conversation I had with Daniel a while ago, is we need to, I think we have a better model or understanding of work, right, as a profession. I feel like we're starting to have that conversation, going back to what Eric Colnagel says about when nothing happens. You know, we need to understand, okay, what is actually happening there and create models and tools and things that would help us understand it and then support it. What do you think that looks like? Because I have to tell you, the whole blue line, black line thing, you know, I just made that up, right? I just that was, that, That's a function of a whiteboard trying to sort of, I guess now that I have a more elegant way to say it, define that pebble in the shoe problem. But I was always interested when I drew the black line because you know the black line is not real. I mean, that's just a world without friction. So when you drew the blue line, what I was trying to capture was normal variability. What I realized what I was capturing – in retrospect, and there's a huge benefit to retrospect, is I was really capturing sort of what had to happen in order to create success, which is a part of variability, but variability is not very interesting. It's, it's the craziest thing about safety differently. Like at first, human error is really interesting, and then it's not interesting at all. And then you go through a whole period of time where variability is really interesting, and then it becomes not interesting at all because variability and error are so normal that they're not interesting. I mean, they're not worth thinking about very now you start thinking about, okay, how do people in an adaptive way create success in a complex system, right? And that becomes pretty sexy. What do these models look like? Because I'm not sure the blue line, black lines, the, you know, I don't think that's the end of the story. No, I agree with that. Um, what it looks like, I mean, that remains to be seen. That's, that's, that's the thing that keeps us going, right? You go back to the beginning about what's, you know, what's going to happen as this movement arises in that kind of stir of everybody's, you know, buying into the variability. Now we start asking different questions. We, you know, it moves us to the next phase or uh, phase is not the right word, but the next, you know, kind of way of thinking about this problem. Um, because I think you're right. And the thing that's really interesting to me is how people bring to bear these strategies to overcome systems. And they do it in, highly unforeseen ways, right? And what they're interested in. But to me, it's so interesting to see all the things that are truly important 
versus the multitude of crap that we think is important but is not important at all. I think that's stunningly interesting. It reminds me of um, – oh, shoot. What's the author's name? But he just wrote a book. Martin Luther. It's Martin Luther. It's 95 Thieves. No. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it, it, book's called What Matters, right? And, and, and I think that's – you know, and it's all about uh, design and, and things like that. But I think you know his argument is we need to find what matters in that environment, not what matters to us. And that's that goes back to that VPP engagement question. I, what matters to me is the least interesting question in safety. What matters to the people and what matters to them in that context, and that that's that's the next thing. If we can start to understand that, we're we're well on our way. Thanks, man. Thank you. No, thank you. No, you. No, you. So what do you think about that, huh? <laughs> I loved it when they rolled the dumpster by. That was what that noise was in the background. That's a pretty good little podcast. Um, it's interesting. It's always interesting to talk to Ron. It's really interesting to dig deep into that Safety Differently website. It, it, I think it represents kind of some of the early adoption thinking that's going on. I think people are really pretty prone to writing down what they're thinking at least in a safe environment like the safety differently environment and, and then being able to look at it. So it's fun. And I hear people quote from it a lot. So I know a lot of people go to it. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing that Daniel and Ron have done. And I'm very proud of them for doing it. It's great. We need to probably talk to Daniel again soon. Maybe it's time to do I'm at Daniel. If you can hear this, if you're within the sound of my voice, contact me. Until then, though, that is the podcast. Enjoy this amazing summer because it is a great one. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Learn something new every single day. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.